Good afternoon, it is great to be with you on, it feels so far away when you drive across the other side of London. My name's James, I'm Hannah's brother. I've met a lot of you at Revive and a few here over the years on Christmas and things like this. I work for one of the other co-mission churches, uh, Dundonald Church over in Rains Park. But it's great to be here. And uh, why don't I pray and we'll look at this together. Heavenly Father, you are good and you are great. Even in the midst of such an uncertain time, we thank you that you do not change and that the word that you spoke to us as of love and kindness for people that don't deserve it, that word does not change either. So we thank you that this means that we can trust you and we can live in a way that pleases you. Father, help us to listen as you speak to us through your word this this afternoon. Amen. Amen. It's a really short reading. I'm going to read it again. Uh, just because it's so simple. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It is great that the government is allowing us to meet at the moment. We've got rumours and zoomers. But it's frustrating, isn't it? It's frustrating to have to wear masks. It's frustrating not to be able to sing. It's really sad to be so close to people, but not to be able to hug our brothers and sisters and our friends and see them in this way. In a sense, we're all hoping, I think, for the same thing. Probably not just here, but the whole country. Maybe the whole world. We're all hoping that the vaccine is going to deliver what it promises. We've seen that language of hope in the news quite a lot. You know, they approve a vaccine, there's hope on the horizon. But the hope isn't just a vaccine. The hope is that when it comes, everything else changes. You see, a big problem has a big solution, but has massive consequences. If the virus has gone away, then I think, well, you know, how differently we'll live? Our social lives, our church life, school life, it's all going to be different. Friendships, relationships, I've got loads of friends who want to be married and it's been cancelled and moved and changed. How we use our free time, our work, our hope for the future. It all changes. It seems pretty obvious. Well, this very short, very simple passage we have today, in this we see a much better, a more brilliant solution to a much bigger problem that has far bigger consequences for all of us. If, you've, if you're really tired, if, you, if you know, you're just coping with Christmas and you've only got a minute left in your brain, this is what you need to hear. The headline today is this. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. You see, the tomb is empty. And that means the throne of heaven is not empty. Hopefully, as we work through this this afternoon, we'll see what the disciples see. That the resurrection of Jesus doesn't just change our future, but it changes our here and now. It changes everything from school and life and work and relationships and church. Everything changes. We're just going to split it into three sections. Firstly, verses 16 and 17, if you're a type of person who takes notes, we see the proof of the resurrection 
and what that leads to. Verse 18, we see the power of the resurrection and what that shows us about Jesus. And at the end, verses 19 and 20, we see the purpose of the resurrection and what that means for me and you as we go out and live in London. So let's look down at text again. Verse 16 and 17, Jesus says this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So where are we in the story? Rob's told me, you've been in Matthew for over a year. Okay, so we're right near the end. If you flick back a chapter, chapter 27, Jesus has died. And that's a fact. Everyone has heard it. The Romans have the body. That's a fact. Everyone can go and check it. And people, well, you know, it's obvious. People don't rise from the dead. Everyone knows that. That's where we are. But, at the beginning of chapter 28, in verse 9, some women go to a tomb. And they're convinced they've seen Jesus. Not just his body, but actual Jesus. Alive again and talking and doing stuff that dead people don't do. And they've passed a message on to the disciples to go to Galilee. Which in itself is a bit strange. If you've been reading Matthew's Gospel carefully, you'll see Galilee's kind of... It's not important. It's out the way. It's on the outside. It's barely Israel. You know, in the the Jewish mind, in the ancient world, there was... Israel for the Jews, and there was everywhere else for everyone else. It was Jews or Gentiles. And Galilee's basically out with the Gentiles. But that's where they go. They go to Galilee, to some mountain, it doesn't say which one. They seem to know the area. But already the people who Matthew's writing to, people who know their Old Testament, people who, who read their Bible all the time like the ancient Jews did, you'd start to be going, something's going on here. Because it might sound weird, but whenever someone goes up a mountain, in the Bible, it's usually signposting something pretty significant. This is not just me making this up right at the beginning. First chapter, Genesis 1. Eden, it's a mountain. Sounds weird, but it's a mountain. That's why four rivers can flow out in each direction from it, because it's at the top. It's a big place. Where the ark stops, a mountain. Where the Ten Commandments go, it's a mountain. Where Elijah goes, or Elisha goes, it's mountains and mountains and mountains. Even in, in Matthew's Gospel... You spent some time looking at the Sermon on the Mount. It's not a Sermon in the Valley. Because it's a big thing for Jesus to say, this is what my kingdom is going to look like. Then, just before all this happens, you've got the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus says, look at what I'm really like in all my glory. And now on some unnamed mountain, barely in Israel, Jesus says, this is what my disciples are going to be like. That's what we have today. Now, verse 17, imagine you're there. You're standing with the disciples. It's, it's like, it does look quite a bit like Jesus, but it can't because he's dead. He's definitely dead. We saw it. We've all been hiding and scared. But it does look a lot like him. And he gets closer and closer. And it is. And we see two responses, which are both pretty obvious. Maybe he was surprised when it was read. That some people doubted. You know, these are disciples. These are the real deal professional Christians. They've been with Jesus. That's a serious apprenticeship. Good Bible training. But maybe a better word than doubted here is hesitated. And I think I'd have done that, wouldn't you? He was dead. Very dead. Not just a bit dead. Kind of sword in the side. In a cold Roman tomb. Guarded dead. Proper dead. I think 
you know, we need to be careful not to be too arrogant here. These are not simple people, they're just ancient people. The fact that they find it hard to believe should be encouraging, because often I find stuff like this hard to believe. And in fact, in all the accounts of people meeting the, the resurrected Jesus, everyone finds it a bit hard to believe. Why? Because it's real history with real people. The Bible doesn't change the truth to make it easier for us. It means we can trust it. Just that it's just hard to believe. You actually say it's impossible to believe unless the Holy Spirit works in us and shows us just how brilliant Jesus is. You know, lots of the rest of this passage you'd normally think about evangelism, going and telling people about Jesus. I think sometimes we forget just how outrageous this story is. You know, our friends find it hard to believe because people do not rise from the dead. But this man has. Yeah, they were hesitant because it's a big thing with big implications. And maybe that's you here watching online or sat in the room. If this is true, then it has massive implications for your life. So you want to know it's right. But just like these guys, don't give up. Don't be disheartened. Look for the evidence. Don't leave your brain at the door when you come to church. That's not what we're asking people to do. In fact, what you should do is pray and read and think and talk. You don't have to do this on your own. Talk to Kenny and Rob and other guys who are at the church. You know, just because the Bible is clear, which it is, doesn't mean it's easy. Lots of important things require hard thinking. And this is too important to not think very, very hard about. So that's one set of people. That's people that doubt. But look at the others. Look at the other people when they come face to face with the resurrected Jesus. What do they do? The passage says they worshipped him. Just like the women did in verse 9. Now it doesn't say, it's a very, it's a very short description. You know, did they, did they get Zach and Sam out to do some songs? We don't know. Did they pray? Did they do some Bible readings? Probably, I don't know. It would make sense though, wouldn't it? Singing and praying and praising would be pretty appropriate because he was dead and now he's not. He is who he says he is, so we can trust him. Now worship is a very churchy word, but one, one writer described it like this. All worship is giving to the Lord the glory that is due to him in response to what he's revealed to us and done for us in his son Jesus. Well, I think that description of worship works pretty well for this passage, and it works pretty well for what we do here. We don't do it just because it's what we were brought up doing. We don't just do it because what everyone else did. We do it because what Jesus has done is amazing. It's the only response. It's the obvious response. And our worship is frustrating at the moment. It doesn't feel quite like normal. But it's worth persevering at because... You know, worship is one of the few things we're going to keep doing forever and ever and ever until, like these disciples, we stand in front of Jesus and see him face to face. And the wonderful thing is that worship, true worship, that's a response to Jesus is the right response and the natural response, even in the face of things like COVID. Even in the face of all that's going on at the moment. Because look at verse 18. Look at what the resurrection means. Verse 18 says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Look at the power of the resurrection on display here. 
Jesus is saying, because of what I went through, because of what happened, now everything has changed. It's not going to be the same and it will never be the same again. Maybe think about it like this. When you've been reading through, through this gospel, how have you pictured Jesus? What sort of words would you use to describe when you imagine Jesus? Because you normally imagine people when you read the book, don't you? You know, you read the book and it becomes a film and you normally go, that's just like him. Well, that's totally nothing like him. What is the Jesus that this account has created for you? As a church this autumn, we've all been reading uh, the same book, a book called Gentle and Lowly. If you're into reading, it's really good. It's by a guy called Dane Ortland. And it basically shows us the heart of Jesus. The headline of the book is this. Here's a quote from the book. He says, Lowly gentleness is not just one way Jesus occasionally acts towards other people. No, gentleness is who he is. It is his heart. And you see, I, I'm okay with that. I can get a kind of gentle, lowly, kind, generous Jesus. But an all-powerful, awesome Jesus. I, I find it really hard to put the two together. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's because in our normal life, you don't get compassion and power together like this. Think about the most powerful people in the, in the world, the, the Putins, the Trumps, the Elon Musks. It feels like in normal life, it's an either-or thing. You're either powerful or you're kind and generous. But with Jesus, the, can't, the two can't be separated. The two can't be separated because the supreme act of love, the supreme act of compassion, the Son of God dying on a cross with people like me and you, is entirely linked, inseparably linked to his power, verse 18. Verse 18, because of what Jesus the Son did, the Father has exalted him. You see, that's been given to me. This is not just something that Matthew talks about. We see it elsewhere in the Bible. We see it in passages like Colossians 3. There Paul talks about the sun going down, down, down. He goes from heaven to earth to be a lowly man, to die a death on a cross. That's right at the bottom. But then he's lifted up, exalted up, because of what he's done to win a people for his father. That, that's our story. It's the same Jesus. It's the same person. The same Jesus was born in a manger and wept for his friends and was rejected and despised. That same Jesus, verse 18, is the one with all authority in heaven and on earth, now and forevermore. One thing Matthew's doing with this statement, if you've been reading through, is he's clearing up one of the big questions. Who is this guy? Is he the Messiah? Is he the Son of God? Yes. That's one thing he's doing. Another thing he's saying is that Jesus reigns over everything, every government, every situation, every virus, every pandemic, over the whole planet. And he doesn't have to share this authority with anyone. He doesn't have to go meet with a, you know, his own little sage committee to make decisions. He's in charge. The votes are counted. But it's not just big picture stuff, it's personal stuff. If Jesus has all authority... He has all authority over me and all authority over you. Over our relationships, over our business, over our work, over our time, over our career, over our families, over our children, over our body. 
If this is who Jesus is, then he is God, then he is our God. You see, being a Christian, following Jesus, doesn't just fix the future. It doesn't just mean, I know I'm saved from hell for heaven for eternity. It changes my now. It must do. An act this big must have massive consequences. Much bigger consequences than any vaccine could ever have. You've seen lots of people, haven't they, recently talking about how you know, I'll never live the same. I've got really into Joe Wicks things and basically you know, I only drink kale and that kind of thing. I suspect that once the pandemic is over, most people will go back to most of the same things they used to do. But that's not possible with Jesus. It's not possible to be a believer and ever live the same again. Notice why Christians sometimes appear a bit weird to everyone else. But it is some line, isn't it? Can you imagine Jesus appearing and that's what he opens with? Guys, all authority in heaven and earth is being given to me. Disciples, you're going to be going, what's coming next? How is he going to show this power? I'm expecting fire. Something magnificent. Another miracle, maybe? How is he going to show this awesome resurrection power? Verses 19 and 20 by saying, go. The word therefore, or or maybe we use the word so or because, links verse 19 together. It shows us the consequences of following Jesus and his resurrection power because of who he is, because he has all authority over us and everyone else. They are to go. We are to go if we're his disciples. You see, the new resurrection of Jesus gives us new purpose. Let's read it again, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Today, where are you going to see the awesome power of God, the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead and fixed our eternity? Where are you going to see that? You're going to see it in the work of making disciples. You're going to see it in places like this. That's quite strange, isn't it? You could invite people along to Beckentry Church and say, what am I going to see when I come on a Sunday? You're going to see the awesome resurrection power of Jesus in all its glory. If you're a Sunday school teacher or a home group leader, if you're one of the guys that normally did the door knocking when you were able to do that, do you get how significant that work is? That you are displaying to the whole world The awesome resurrection power of Jesus because you are doing the work of making disciples. You know, when we invite people and they say no or when we're really nervous or or the work feels really small or under-resourced or really insignificant, what do we need to remember? We need to remember what Jesus is saying to us here. That what we're doing is not insignificant. It is a beautiful act of obedience. And there is so much you can take from just these two verses. I'm sorry we can't go into all this detail. I'll just pick out a few highlights. What are things we can't miss? Firstly, it's a command. So we need to go and do it. But it's not burdensome. It's not, you know, an authoritative teacher saying, do this, go and do that. That's not how it feels, is it, when you read this passage? No, the disciples, they meet Jesus, they worship Jesus, and they want to go out. That's the normal Christian experience. You meet Jesus, you worship him, you go out. Our worship is a springboard to our evangelism. 
In fact, if our worship doesn't lead to us wanting to make disciples, there's something wrong with our worship. It's the fuel. But equally, it's obvious. If you really met Jesus, if you really knew the answer to everyone's problem, what sort of person would I be if I didn't want to tell other people? Imagine if, you know, last summer, in the middle of the first lockdown, now I just had the vaccine just on me, walking around the streets. What sort of person I would? You, you, you wouldn't do it, you wouldn't keep it to yourself. What have you got there? Nothing. No, it's just a thing. No, you would go out and you'd tell everyone, you'd say, here it is, and you go take it to other people. In fact, get on the radio, get on the news, tell everybody. Because if this news of Jesus really is good news, then it, it should be impossible for us to want to keep it to ourselves. So it's a command, yes, but it's, it's not a burdensome command. It's a joyous command. And as we go out, we become more like Jesus. But who do we go to? Verse 19 seems fairly clear and quite obvious. Go to everyone. Go to all nations There's no getting around it, is there? It means we can't just go to people like us. And it doesn't mean it's a job for somebody else. Because if Jesus has all authority, then he has placed you here. And if Jesus has all power, then he's made you the person that you are. He has made you to be the missionary wherever he's placed you in your workplace, in your street, in your house, with your family, with your friends. You know, modern-day London offers us more cross-cultural opportunities than you know, anywhere in the ancient world could have imagined. You know, even now, you know, Brexit happening and it's harder to fly. You can just walk around London, the whole world is here. And most haven't met Jesus. But even with the whole world coming to us, this, is not, this passage still probably means we've got to be sending, we've got to be willing to send, to send people out, to go and reach more disciples. Whether that's to another estate down the road or another borough or another city at the other end of the country or another country on the other side of the world. Because this good news is for all people. Maybe that's why Jesus went to Galilee. Maybe that's why he didn't stay in Jerusalem. Maybe he thought, let's go out. Let's show you this is where you're going to go. And people don't think of the gospel like this. Uh, I saw a tweet this week uh, from a journalist. She was unhappy and moaning at people saying Merry Christmas to her because, and this is a quote, um, to say Merry Christmas is white supremacy culture at work. Really surprisingly, the guy who responded wasn't a Christian. He was a journalist from the New York Times. And he said, here's his headline point. He said, well, it's interesting because the majority of Christians in the world aren't white. Sub-Saharan Africans make up nearly a quarter of all the world Christians. Seven of the ten largest Christian populations are Nigeria, the DRC, Ethiopia, the Philippines, China, Brazil and Mexico. He could have added the most influential theologian in the whole of Western history was from North Africa, Augustine. Or the guy who brought Christian learning to England was Hadrian of Canterbury. He was from Africa as well. Or that the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. And what does that show us? It shows us that the gospel is too great and too powerful to just be kept to one people and one culture. It can't be contained. It just breaks out. Nothing else can cross cultural lines like the gospel can. So why would we ever just try and go to people that are just like us? 
That's who it's for. This good news, this disciple making is to go out and tell all people. But what does it look like? Well, verse 19 is pretty thorough again. Jesus say, he says, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe what I've commanded you. Baptizing, teaching and obeying. So it's more than just saying, hi, nice to meet you, Jesus died for you, see you later, bye. No, it's much more than that. It looks like church, doesn't it? Because that's, to me, that's quite a good description of church. You've got worshipping at the beginning, you've got baptising in the middle, and you've got teaching and helping one another to obey Jesus. That looks a lot like church to me. I think it's an interesting thing as well, isn't it? If there's baptising going on in this kind of language, it all feels very public. There's something here where Jesus is saying to us, this is not just a private faith. This is not just something you keep to yourself, which is what our culture wants us to do a lot of the time. You know, it's okay for you to have those beliefs, but keep them to yourself. I wonder if Christians, we've got to politely say, I'm really sorry, but I can't, because it's, this news is too good. You see, verses like verse 20, a why on a Sunday, you've been going through the whole book of the Bible, slowly, verse by verse. Because Rob and the elders here, well, their job is to make sure that everything Jesus taught is, well, they teach. Not just the easy bits. Not just the simple bits. Not just the bits that are popular. Yeah, we need to do it in a way that, that is easy to understand and accessible. But their job is to help all of us understand and obey. Their job is to make disciple makers I think you know if you're robbed there you're going to go it's quite a big job oh that's quite a lot to do you know go tell everyone everyone in the world even those who don't like us and don't want to hear it and tell them everything Jesus said which lots of them are going to find offensive to be honest that sounds you know like our, our excitement levels might drop a little bit by that point I think lots of us can be very tempted to think I'm not really sure that's for me. That's definitely for those kind of professional Christians, you know, the guys who've got the gifting for that. But look at verse 20 again. How does Jesus end? His final command to the guys here, what does he say? I'm with you always. I'm with you always to the end of the age. Do you say it's a fact? This is what I'm going to be. This Jesus, the same one who has all authority in heaven and earth, yet that Jesus is saying, I'm going to be with you. When am I going to be with you? Just some of the time, just on Sundays? Am I just going to be with you on the days when you've, you know, you've done some Bible reading? No, I'm with you always. I'm with you through the tough times and the good times. Basically, I'm with you until you see me again. You know, a few weeks ago, you would have been singing carols. I got to see one of the rehearsals for your Carols by Carlite. It should have been called Carols by Carlite, by the way. That's a brilliant title. Anyway. Um, next time. Yeah, no, thanks. <laughs> Christmas, you sing songs with the word Emmanuel in it. We don't really sing any songs with that word except at Christmas. And that's how this gospel opens. So right back in the September before last, you'd have read in Matthew 128, 
that we see this baby in a manger is Emmanuel, which means God with us. This passage says that's not just true for wise men, that's not just true for shepherds, but that's true for me and you now, here today. We have God with us who will never leave us. At school, at work, at home, when the kids are being difficult, when we're being a difficult person to live with, Jesus is with us. When it feels impossible, Jesus is with us. When we're chatting to one of our friends and they simply ask, what did you do on Sunday? And we're very tempted not to mention church. We can do it because Jesus is with us. When we're really tired and the last thing we want to do is read a Bible story with our kids before bed, we can do it because Jesus is with us. Even if you're in an ICU and a ventilator, we don't need to fear like the rest of the world because we don't need to fear death in the same way because Jesus is with us and he will never leave us. He's with us reminding you of just how loved you are and what he's done for you. As we said at the beginning, verse 16, the tomb is empty. We have the proof of the resurrection, so we worship Jesus for who he is, the Son of God, our friend, our Saviour. Verse 18, we see the power of the resurrection because of what Jesus has done. He reigns and he rules. There's no challenger to his throne. All the world and all our lives are his. Verse 20, this resurrection gives us power and purpose. He's alive so we can go. Go out to all the world to all the people and make disciples. Why don't we just take a moment, each of us, just think about how how would this church, how would we be different if we really grasped this? What would our worship look like if we were truly doing it in response to what Jesus has done for us? What would my work be like or my home be like If I really understood that Jesus has all authority and all power, but is using it for my good and his glory. What would our evangelism look like? I hear a group of you have been reading uh, Rico Tice's book on evangelism. What would our evangelism and our discipleship look like if we really grasped this beautiful command and we grasped that Jesus is there? We don't need Rico with us. We've got Jesus with us. Coaching is the whole... Rico's good. Jesus is better. How would we do it differently if we knew that Jesus there going, I've got you, I've got you on this one. It's okay that you didn't, you went that clear, it's okay, I'm with you. I imagine, well this this would end up looking like the type of church that everyone in Dagenham would want to come into. The kind of church that end up planting more and more churches on every estate. You know, planting them so fast that you can barely train pastors fast enough to fill them. Loads of people this year and the last few days have been making resolutions that they won't keep. Wouldn't it be great if, as a church, we committed to praying like this? Praying for ourselves and for each other that we would grasp just how brilliant the resurrection is and how different it makes our lives. I'm going to pray and then I'll hand over to the guys. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son. We thank you that despite how unlovely we are, you love us. And we see your love supremely in sending him to die in our place. 
But Father, we thank you that the story didn't end there. That in power and glory you raised Jesus. You raised him to sit at your right hand in the power of all, the place of all power and authority. And we thank you that he is with us now. We thank you that through your word and by your spirit, we can bring Jesus' words to other people. Thank you for the privilege of being able to make more disciples. Father, please keep us and sustain us. Bring us back together again soon. But until we do, please be with us by your spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.